this week as I was thinking about being prepared. There's a movie that is out that I have promised Cindy that I will go with her to see. And I promised that we would do it together. We were hoping to do it this weekend before the message, but there were a lot of things going on in our life that didn't allow it. But when you see even just the trailer, and I spoke to some people who had gone to see the movie, they said the whole movie is about being prepared in preparation, taking seriously the event that's about to take place and doing what is necessary to be involved in it. Not just the seriousness of it, but to do so in a way that involved the entire community. See if you recognize the movie. King and Queen are coming to Downton. What? I want every surface to gleam and sparkle. A royal luncheon, a parade, and a dinner. I'm going to have to sit down. How's it all going? Mary's got it under control. Hardly. I need your help, Carson. I'll be there in the morning, my lady. Don't you worry. Remember to pray for us. I'll put in a word. Your Majesties, welcome to Downton Abbey. have enough cliches to get you through the visit. If not, I'll come to you. Here we go. True confession. I have watched all the episodes of Downton Abbey. (laughs) I'm man enough to do so. And if you know the story, you know that it's a large place and it's a village. And as you saw in the clip, the king the queen are coming. And the whole movie, there was a spoof on this that Saturday Night Live did that I thought about using, but I wanted to be a little more focused, which is how it's all about preparing, 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 preparing until the king and queen finally arrive. Now, if we heard that some important official was about to come here. We might prepare in preparation for the coming of that royal person or that important person. But the fact is, every time that we get together here, we are preparing for the arrival not of a human dignitary, but we are preparing for the arrival of our divine dignitary. Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered, and I believe that's us this morning, I'm convinced of that, that he is uniquely here. That there is a community that exists here where the Lord comes and is involved with his presence here. And when you read through Scripture, and as we were doing the 
biblical theological study that we used as the foundation of all that we were talking about when it comes to worship. One of the things that became very, very clear and is mentioned over and over again in Scripture, we won't have time to look at all the passages this morning, nowhere even near that, is how we need to be prepared. You see, Scripture clearly teaches that preparation is necessary when approaching God, and this is where I want to focus this morning, in our corporate worship. When we gather together to worship the Lord. And one of the things you begin to see, and I want to kind of divide it between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because the Old Covenant focused on one area and did so very, very well. The New Covenant focuses on a slightly different area. But when you look at the Old Covenant, you see this. The Old Covenant ceremonies, rituals, if you like, direct us to be prepared for the sacredness of our corporate worship. The sanctity, the set-apartness, the holiness of what is taking place right here and now. It's not something that we deal with frivolously or even distractedly. But it's something we are to understand that there is a weightiness to the times that we gather together to corporately worship the Lord. One of the things that becomes clear is that the long processes that are talked about in the Old Testament for the preparation of God's people to come before the very presence of God declares this sense of sacredness. The long steps of preparation that are going on and We don't have time this morning, but read through Leviticus chapter 16 sometime. It's a long passage. And what is taking place there is the high priest is preparing for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It was just last week in the Jewish calendar. As God's people gathered together to come before God and to corporately seek his forgiveness. Read through what had to take place. Aaron had to take special baths before he could begin. He had to put on special clothing before he began. He had to proceed towards the very presence of God in a very specific way. He would have to enter, if it was the tabernacle, through the the curtains that surrounded the entire tabernacle. If it was the temple later on, after Aaron's time, he had to enter through that the court where everyone could gather and to move into that place where only those who were a part of the people of God could enter. In fact, there was a sign in the temple that warned anyone who was not Jewish that if they entered that area, they were subject to death. After doing all that, he had to give a particular kind 
of sacrifice. He had to wash that sacrifice in a certain way. He had to continue his process of moving in and direction in a very specific way. He had to enter the holy place where the incense was and where the table of showbread was and where the candelabra was, what we call the menorah. He had to do all of that. And then he had to enter in to the Holy of Holies, another curtain that he had to go into. And if he did not do it all right, what would happen to him? He would die. It's why they wore bells around the bottom of their their robes. It's why they would tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest. Because when he walked in, if he didn't do it all right, he didn't want him laying in there for another whole year. They could pull him out with the rope. Now, thankfully, we don't have to do all that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But the reality of it is all of that demonstrated the seriousness, the sacredness, the holiness. The uniqueness, this wasn't the normalness of sort of my everyday life. This was something special. Now, the problem with all of that was not God's instruction. It was not the lessons. And we'll look at this in two weeks. The problem arose when the ritual became void of any internal meaning, impact, or reflection. You'll hear in our culture, people will talk about virtue signaling. There's a danger when we spiritually signal. And that we begin to believe that the activities that we're involved in declare our spirituality. They don't. Unless they're a reflection of the internals. It got so bad in Israel that we'll look at this passage in two weeks in Isaiah chapter 1. Verses 11 through 20, God says, I've had enough. Don't bring any more sacrifices. Don't have any more festivals. Don't do any of this. Why? Because what they were doing was wrong. No, they were doing it right. Because their heart wasn't there. They were not expressing an internal reality through the external activity. Worship is, and we've said it over and over again as we've defined it, and you, you, you have that definition that we use that where we simply say that it is an external expression of our internal response, but both parts must be there. Now, one of the problems, though, that we have in the New Covenant is this. The process remains the same. How do we enter before God? How do we go into his presence? How are our sins forgiven? The process is the same. It involves sacrifice. It involves moving towards God. It involves washing. It involves a new clothing of righteousness. It involves all of those things. The process now fulfilled in Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit is exactly the same. It is just as holy. It is just as sacred. It is just as unique from our daily lives when we gather together corporately. Though the process is the same, 
Our preparation has changed. Here's the process. Hebrews chapter 10. By the way, this is the first passage I ever preached on. It has a special place in my heart. But in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, speaking of the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the, the time when the, when the high priest would go directly into the presence of God. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the very presence of God, there is no holy of holies and holy place in, in, the, in the, the divine, the, the heavenly temple. But how do we do that? By the blood of Jesus, there's the sacrifice. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. There was the old separation being being torn apart. And since we have a great high priest, same process over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. There's the washing. Uh, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. All of that is now accomplished in Christ. So if that is done, how do we prepare? Please don't bring a sheep to be slaughtered in the front of the church next week. But how do we prepare? The fact is we no longer prepare so much through activity as we do to our minds and our hearts. And to take some time to remember and to focus on the value and the significance of what we are involved in. I just want to be practical and I want to run through this quickly because I want to get to the next part. But when we, when we do that, there are ways we can just prepare. The process has been dealt with. We no longer have to bring things. There's no longer a temple we have to go to. There's no longer those things. But the preparation requires us to take some time and effort to, be rem- to remember what it is we're about to do. Let me give some ideas of things we can do. Take, take some time with your children on Saturday. You probably won't be able to do it Sunday morning knowing the busyness of what it's like to try to get the entire family out the door into church. But maybe on Saturday night, as you're tucking your kids into bed, take a few moments to say, you know what, tomorrow we're going to gather together with God's people. And that's important. And we're going to join our voices with others and we're going to be a part of focusing upon God. Remind them that worship is not about them or us, it's about God. Take some time in the night before to do that, to prepare. Or Sunday morning, maybe if you come together for breakfast. But to be prepared, to think it through. Discuss after the service what just happened. What, what, what was going on? How did the, the worship leaders, as Jess was leading us this morning, what was she focusing on when it comes and we talk about and we sing about and we, we think about God? What was going on? If your child is old enough and they're in the, in the message, what were the truths that are there that we can respond to that are serious and, and sacred and holy? Take some time. Take some effort. 
Take time in the morning. This is those of you who don't have children. Before coming, to read and to pray and to focus. Take the drive to church. Again, this is those of you who have no children. To be thinking about what is it I'm about to do? What is it I'm about to be involved in? Read some of the passages that talk about worship. Be a part of the morning prayer time. No guilt here, but encouragement. That time from 9 to 9.15, I love it every Sunday. And if no one shows up, I'm still doing it. And the reason is, it's, it's a time, and I think all week about what is taking place here and, and the seriousness of this. It's my, it's my responsibility. It's my ministry. But on Sundays, when I pray and we get together to pray, one of the things I will often say is, Lord, thank you for these few moments to focus upon the purpose why we're gathered here. If you can be here at 9 o'clock and you can join us from 9 to 9.15, it's a great way to do that. This morning, just did a wonderful job of simply setting a, a, a time of thought and with that directed prayer and the, and the music that we sang and the, the affirmation that was read. Take that time. Arrive at 9.30 so that when we come in and we're, we're praying, and again, I know that's hard to do, especially if you have children, but to come in and to, to take those few, those choruses, and particularly as we begin to, to say, Lord, help me to focus on you. And then remember that being consistent in what Eric talked about two weeks ago, my personal and continual worship becomes the foundation of my ability to worship corporately. If I don't have that, then I will not have the foundation from which to draw from as we gather together corporately. God calls us to prepare. We don't have to wash. You know, there was a time when you took a bath on Saturday night, every Saturday night, because Sunday was coming. And that probably was the only bath you had all week, and we were so glad you took that bath on Saturday. We don't wear special clothes. And it doesn't mean you can't, you know. Some people love to dress up and come. That's fine. But it's more than those actions. It's the preparation of our minds and our hearts. That's what the Old Testament teaches us. But the New Testament has a little different focus. It doesn't focus so much on the process and preparation as it does focus on the communal nature of worship. We no longer go to a temple. We are the temple. We no longer put on special clothes that represent. We are constantly clothed in the righteousness of God. And the reality of Christ places us in a situation where in the New Testament, the focus is on what we already have and how to enjoin that communally. Now, I have a, I have a confession to make. 
Last week, I know that I offended some during the time of announcements when attempting to be light about our worship. My lightness devolved into facetiousness and sarcasm. And through that, there were things communicated that I would never want to communicate. Some heard that I was saying that unless you clap, you cannot worship God. Some heard that unless you clap, your, your, your worship is not good enough. Some heard things like that. And I want you to know I would never want to communicate that. Though I did. And to those who were offended, I say, I am sorry. I would ask you to forgive me. You see, in communicating that, not only am I upset because it's not what I believe or would want to communicate, even more, it's not what God's word would want to communicate. But there's another reason why I'm concerned about last week, and that is, in the process of the miscommunication, what it was important to communicate got overshadowed and got lost. And so hopefully you are able to set aside my failures and to allow me to talk a little bit about what corporate worship is all about and what it is that God's word, particularly in the new covenant, calls us to be about as we focus not just on our individual worship. That must be the foundation. What do we do? How do we do? How do we focus in our communal worship? I lost my clipper. Let me see where the others. One of the passages, and there are many passages that will help us to understand this, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and Paul is dealing with a church that did not get communal worship. They really messed it up in ways that it's hard to believe. And as he was talking to them, he says this, What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together? That's corporate worship. That's what he's talking about. Here's the inclusiveness. All who know the Lord is their Savior. Everyone. And there's discussion about exactly what that everyone means. I think it's pretty inclusive. Though. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. I'm not going to get into the theology behind that today. But notice what he says. All. 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 Of these must be done for the strengthening of the oikonias, the place of family gathering, the church. 
There are other passages that speak in that direction. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, where, Paul, where Peter declares that we are no longer individually, but we are corporately a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people unto God, a people who used to not be a people, but now we are a people. There is a community aspect. In Ephesians, the passage that speaks about the fact that we are to speak to one another, one anothering, that communication, that interaction with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts in order that we might together proclaim our serving, our submission, our upotasso, our placing under of one another. There's a different focus. 1 Corinthians 11, a passage that we read just about once a month when we get together for communion. This whole idea is also being spoken of where Paul says in that communion service in an act of worship that they were so bad in what they were doing when they were coming together to eat together and some were getting so full they were throwing up, which was a common Roman practice, and others were going away hungry. And some were coming and had nothing to drink and others were going away drunk. And he says to them in that context, here is the problem. You are not rightly evaluating the body of Christ. And I believe that that body of Christ, there is both the literal body, the one that was here 2,000 years ago and now is with the Father in heaven and is the second person of the Godhead, but it's also speaking about this body. You can see it in other passages too, but basically it comes down to this. Corporate worship adds a new component to my activity of worship. When it is just God and I, it is God, you and me, or you and thee. And in my expressions, in all that I do, it's simply to to say, God, This is where I want to express, and this is how I want to express. But when we come together corporately, there is a new level added. It becomes you, me, and we. How is it that we can corporately demonstrate our unanimity, our togetherness, that the folks on this side of the room are joining with folks on this side of the room and together we are declaring, God, it's all about you. Corporate worship calls us to think through, not simply, this is part of it. God, how do I express where my heart and my mind and my will is to you? But it also asks the question, Lord, how do I join in with all of the others that are joined together corporately in order to communicate that? It's not spiritual signaling. I need to watch my time. One of the struggles, I love singing, and I know I have a fairly decent voice. And one of the things that I have to be careful of is sometimes I can sing just because I love to sing harmony with a guy I love singing harmony when Adam is leading. He has that incredibly deep voice, and you can add sort of another layer on top of it. And I can get caught up in that and be thinking, oh, isn't my voice good? 
That's spiritual signaling. Or I can join in and say, you know what, as I sing this song, I can let the people back there and back there and up here and over there know that together we are joining our voices in order to say, God, it's all about you. So I go and ask the question, yes, God, how do I express this to you? And then in corporate worship, I ask the question, and how do we do it? Secondly, and this is so important, corporate worship draws on our individual and continual worship for its authenticity. There are times I may not be where the worship team is. For whatever reason, we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But I have this incredible reservoir of of worship in my past, whether it be individual or corporately, that I can draw from and say, you know what, Lord, even though I may not be here right now, I remember when. In fact, when you read through passages where God's people are being prepared for worship over and over and over and over and over again, it says that they reminded them of. When they wanted celebration, they reminded them of the goodness of God. When they were moving towards repentance, they reminded them of the failures of God's people. When they were focusing on grace, they reminded What were they doing? They were saying, from our individual reservoir of experiences with God, I can draw, and even though I may not quite be there today, I can draw from that to join in the community. There are many passages we could look at. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 8 in just a little bit. And you see how the leaders in Nehemiah went from seeking and moving towards celebration and then seeking and moving towards repentance. And both of them reminded the people, draw from this reservoir. But This is where I was really trying to be last week. And that is that corporate worship involves an immediate demonstrative expression of unanimity. To show that we stand together in this, in our commitment to proclaiming, God, it's all about you. There are so many examples of this through Scripture, we cannot even begin to touch on them. But two of them I thought about as I was thinking this through. One is found in Revelation chapter 19, as suddenly the bride, the bride and the bridegroom, the church and, the, and Christ himself come together and there's this incredible celebration. And all of a sudden, with immediacy and demonstrativeness, there's an expression of unanimity as they all cry out, Hallelujah! They all did it together. There's another place, just like this morning, as Jess was leading, in Revelation chapter 8, when the judgment is about to come, and there's one of the most amazing phrases, I've pondered it so many times, where it says, and there was silence. I don't think that has ever happened in creation since the time of creation. There was silence in the throne room of God for 30 minutes. It was an immediate, demonstrative expression of unanimity. There are so many ways we do that. Why is it we all stand together when we sing? 
so that we can say together there is a unanimity. Listen, I remember the standing wars. You don't. I remember in the 70s the arguments, well, why are we standing? This is silly. I don't like to stand. Why do we stand? Why when we pray do we close our eyes? It's a way to say, I'm joining in. Do you know congregational singing almost split the Reformation? Why do we sing as a congregation? It's a way to proclaim unanimity. There are others that we may not be quite as comfortable with, but I would encourage us to move towards. To say amen. All through scripture it talks about the people speaking the amen. When people are praying, to, to hear others go, amen. Mm-hmm. Yes. It says to those that are involved in their prayer, we stand together. To, to say, uh, to raise your hands. I'm uncomfortable with that. You know, I was taught as a teenager that that was wrong. to join in others, to raise my hand to say, I stand with you. This morning, for me, those were songs to raise my hand and say, God, it's about you. And yes, clapping. There are ways to say we stand together. There are ways to say, even if I may not be comfortable with it, it may not be my tradition, it may not be what I'm used to, I want to find, as we come together corporately, ways that I can express my unanimity with others. In some churches, you kneel together. I would love us maybe some Sunday to say, you know, those of you who are able, let's kneel. Why? Because kneeling makes us more spiritual? Because it puts us into a better connection with God? No, 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 no! To say, together, we want an immediate, demonstrative expression of our unanimity. In corporate worship, I ask the question, yes, God, how can I best express this to you? And then I ask the question, how can I best express this in unanimity with others. They're both there. We do all to the edification of one another. And when they came together, only two or three were allowed to share. What about all those that had other things to share? They could enter in by saying amen. They could enter in by saying preach it. My favorite, my, my. But it's a way of saying we stand together. But there's a problem. And the problem is sometimes I don't feel like that. The reality is sometimes my heart cannot enter in. You see, corporate worship encourages us to seek new encounters with God. I will tell you the story. Please forgive me. I know we're going a little over time by a couple minutes. Back when I was in seminary, I worked as an orderly in the emergency room. One Sunday morning, just before we were getting ready to leave, a call came over the, the communication 
house fire, three children on their way in. It was a Sunday morning, it was about 7 o'clock. We worked on those three children. Two of them died in the emergency room. One would die a few hours later. I heard the mother scream as they came and told her the news. I went to church that Sunday morning. My heart was not at a place to worship. But it gets worse. A few weeks later, Cindy and I were together in the labor room. And the doctor came in and said, I cannot find a heartbeat. Your daughter has died. And for the next several weeks, when I gathered together, and I chose not to stay away, but I chose to gather with God's people, my heart was not there. My mind was not there. My spirit was not there. People came up to us during that time and said, you know, Keith and Cindy, I want you to know that we went through it too. We lost a child. We had a stillborn. And something began to happen. You see, as I gathered together corporately, and I watched others who I knew had gone through that, and I saw them stand to sing, and I saw them raising their hands, and I saw them, yes, clapping, and I saw them doing those things, suddenly I realized that there was an opportunity eventually to me to be at that place where I could join in again. And their worship and their activities and their expressions of unanimity became a a motivation for me to go home and to say, Lord, I'm not there. Help me to be there. There were times I did not want to be at church. Part of it was because of the stupid things people would say. But when it came to the corporate worship, God used it as a catalyst, that sense of unanimity that I could not enter into to draw me to a place where I could say, God, I can praise you. We do not have time this morning. I probably will pick it up in two weeks. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, that's exactly what happens. They come to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time of great joy and celebration. But the people, instead of celebrating, were all crying and weeping. And Nehemiah and the high priest and the priest got together and said, boy, this is just not connecting. What's going on? And so they send the people home and they say to them, you know what? We want to give you something to draw from. We want to give you a reservoir of the joy of the Lord that you can draw from in order to join with us in celebrating this wonderful, joyous event. So they went home and they feasted and they, they got together and they, they invited others over who, who, were, um, who didn't have the money to feast and to celebrate. What did they do? They provided them an experience from which to draw. The next day they got together, one day later, 
They cut down the branches. They built their, the little tabernacles that were a part of this particular feast. And it said, and all the people rejoiced. There are times, whether it's because of physical brokenness, I just did a funeral at a nursing home, and they wanted everyone to stand, but this is what they said. If you are capable, please stand with us. There were a lot of creaking knees, mine included. But sometimes we can't worship because of a broken heart. And as a congregation, as we see people struggling there, we come alongside and say, we love you, we've been there, we know what you're going through. And we encourage them to call out to God to find that new revelation from God that would help them to be a part of the corporate worship. You see, when it comes to corporate worship, the definition changes just a little bit. Corporate worship is our communal, God-honoring, spirit-empowered expressions through word and deed of the inward response of our plural hearts, minds, and will to an encounter with God's self-revelation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth, the challenge of corporate worship. I pray that we would understand the seriousness of what it is that we do together as we prepare our hearts and minds to be a part of this incredible, sacred, holy time. But Father, also remind us that as we gather together, There is a corporate aspect. And help us as leaders, as worship leaders, Father, as all of us come together to seek those ways to express the work you are doing in our lives in a way that expresses what you are doing with us corporately. Father, in that you will be glorified. In that people will be encouraged. In that the benefits of worship will be there even though that's not the reason why we worship. Father, thank you for the opportunity to join together in praising and honoring you. And we ask it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.